Welcome to Inspiring People and Places, where we interview national leaders in the architectural, engineering, construction, and development industry in an effort to educate, innovate, and inspire industry professionals to disrupt the status quo, improve their project teams, and steward public and private investments more effectively. I'm your host, BJ Kramer, CEO of MCFA. And today I'm honored to have from the Association of Associated General Contractors of America, Brian Pearlberg. Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Happy to be here. I'm excited to uh, to dig in your background. I'll, I'll do some quick highlights here. Uh, you are the Executive Director and Senior Counsel for Consensus Docs and Senior Counsel to AGC of America. Brian was recently recognized as a top legal voice by ENR Magazine and recognized by Who's Who Legal for Construction. Brian is the only construction attorney in the United States certified as CM Lean for Lean Construction. Brian, I want to talk about what CM Lean is for our audience. Uh, Mr. Pearlberg serves on the ABA Forum on the Construction Law Steering Committee for the Contract Documents, Executive Committee for the Arbitration Association of America, and is on the Board of Construction Super Conference. Brian, you, uh, you've got a lot of jobs, you got a lot of titles and a lot of education. We start this show just by getting to know you and, and your career path uh, to how you got to where you are today. So uh, going back as far as you want, I don't know if it's, it's, uh, your upbringing or, or your education or just happenstance, but how'd, how'd you land in the construction industry? Well, thanks. Thanks for the question. I'll start with saying that construction was not my intended profession. When I was in high school, the, uh, 30th anniversary, the 20th anniversary of Earth Day was coming up and, it really struck me, and I, I got a real big interest in environmental issues. I went to college at the University of Maryland in College Park and got active in environmental group and became president of that group. And then I was a political science major and went to, what do you do with that? You go to law school. I went straight in, <laughs> and I became president of the Environmental Law Society. And then I worked with Booz Allen and Hamilton as a consultant to the Environmental Protection Agency working on Superfund litigation. And then I went to the EPA. So my career path was really focused on being a lawyer and working in environmental law. Lo and behold, in dealing with Superfund, I, I, my next job was working as a legislative attorney for my local government, working on land use, working on procurement, and working on what would be the equivalent of the General Services Administration at local government. And I was involved in a, a, an advisory board on green buildings and energy efficiency. And it was there that I started getting more knowledgeable and some exposure to construction. But what really flipped was I decided I want to work for an association, a business not-for-profit. I was in Howard County, which is in between Baltimore and DC. I'm from the Baltimore County area. And Howard County's in between, but it's definitely, I don't know, it's a suburb and it's not being in the city. Uh, but there was a great opportunity to work in the uh, an association, and that was the Design Build Institute of America. And mm -hmm. so I really started from the green buildings aspect, started to get involved and had my profession around construction. And lo and behold, even though I wanted to be an environmental attorney, I found that construction was really a passion and an interest. 
yeah, I, w- I felt like I was a little bit of a small fish in a big sea of trying to do environmental regulation. And in working in construction law, I, I've really been able to cut out my niche and, and feel like I've been able to make a much bigger impact by applying my skills, experiences, and, and now expertise. I've been doing it for 20 years. Uh, I moved from the small association at Design Build Institute of America, which is DBIA. And then there was an opportunity in, within two years of going to the largest association representing general contractors. And that was part of an effort to represent 40 associations now, originally a, a cross section. And so I touch a broad swath of the association world for design, construction, and and I believe that I've been able to really cut out a niche and get to work with amazing people and work on amazing projects. And really my vision is fairness and equity in construction contracts and trying to make it more efficient by not arguing and litigating or hitting each over the head with unfair provisions in your contract. And how can we have contracts that help us structure a way of collaborating and communicating so we can be more efficient and spend more time putting construction in place rather than really uh, attorneys in courtrooms. As, as the saying goes, uh, if you're in court, only the lawyers are going to win. The, uh, the owner, the contractor, the engineer is just, I, I'm with you. How do, it's, it's, a, um, it's a necessary evil in our society, but it, it feels like a lot of waste of time in any way that we can be uh, moving our industry along to, to avoid it is better. Uh, as a young construction manager... Uh, working with the Corps of Engineers, the senior CM and the attorney said, handle as much as you can in the field because if it comes to us, it, it, it's too late. Um, so I, I appreciate your passion for that. Tell us a little bit about your scope as senior counsel to AGC. So I'm the association subject matter expert on construction law. And and then I run uh, the lead staff person for the Consensus Docs Coalition. So for AGC, AGC has been around for over 100 years. And I like to say you can't say the word contract without saying the word general contractor. You can't say the word contract without saying subcontractor or specialty contractor. And so believe it or not, the, the contracts, what it says, is really fundamental. And so I take a lead effort on our association, our members and our chapter. We have 95 chapters across the country. Their understanding uh, of contracts, of things like project delivery methods, which is really determined by your contractual relationships. I help track state laws, especially for the building sector, public procurement laws and, and laws that affect construction across all the jurisdictions including Puerto Rico and Washington, D.C., which is not a state, uh, for, for things of that nature. And, and then I work on things like education for regarding construction and claims and, and, and what we said before about, um, you know, what does it mean when you have, say, a differing site conditions and, and writing articles and presentations? With consensus docs, though, that probably takes up 90, 
80 to 90 percent of my time. Some of it's overlapped, but there's a coalition. We can kind of delve into this. It's AGC, but yeah, 41, 41 other groups. And I'm the lead staff person for getting the volunteers who, who give back to this industry to write standard contracts, which are then published. And then those are modified with project-specific information, like the name of the project and location. And then that's used on not millions, but billions of dollars annually of construction, both under contract and put in place. So maybe now would be a good time to, to talk about what consensus docs is, uh, since yeah, that's probably I, the most of, I, of my time. I think I understand a little bit, but... Uh, just from some basic research, but tell us how the idea of consensus docs came about and what problem you are solving with it. Well, one little thing is I helped come up with some, with outside consultants, the name of consensus docs. And the docs is a double entendre, right? It sounds like documents, but it also means designers, owners, contractors, mm -hmm. and subcontractors slash surety. And th those are major players and parties and stakeholders to a construction project. Historically, uh, construction contracts are written from one perspective, standard ones or ones that are just written in the field. The American Institute of Architects, AIA, has the longest history of writing standard contract documents. Let me ask you, BJ, if, if, AIA, if AIA writes a contract, no matter what's in it, who do you think the perception is of that contract of favor? The architect, the designer. Exactly. And AGC had its own contracts, and owners groups like the Construction, Construction Owners Association of America had their own contracts. And construction's fragmented. We're all going and we're rowing in different directions. So Consensus Stocks came up with the idea, what if, rather than starting out with a contract that's perceived, and maybe it is biased towards that one perspective, why don't we get everybody at the drafting table why don't we start out with a better standard, a, a better foundation to build that's fairer, that is easier to negotiate, that incorporates best practices by getting all of those people, giving them all an equal voice and saying, look, here's the one rule. You can't protect your segment of the industry. You can't protect your interest. Let's protect the project. Let's try to figure out, a, build a better mousetrap. And believe it or not, it sounded like an impossible task because it's never been done in the United States before. But honestly, it, was, it turned out to be easier to come up with people working together on fair contract terms than it was to figure out how to have an entity to house and publish the, the business procedures <laughs> with all the different interest groups and their existing contract documents program. So I was involved in that. It, it took three years to both write the contracts and, and figure out some sort of business relationships to to do it in a coalition with such a diverse segments. Uh, and so that then we came up with the word consensus docs. And in 2007, it was the cover of Engineering News Records magazine about the release. And now we've been around for 14 years, two touchdowns. Uh, we've grown. We've grown from 20 organizations to over 40. We have over 110 standard contract documents that address all different types, all the major project delivery methods. And we have a track record of both not being in court with our documents and being successful in putting contracts in place on at least $50 billion or more of, of construction. 
I want to jump right into not being in court with your documents. So the problem you're trying to solve was a fairer agreement that, you know, uh, doesn't give any bias to any one party, but protects the project and not being in court sounds like it's protecting the project. How does that, you know, are there, are there numbers or statistics that, that you have over the years that compared to say an AIA and I don't want to throw AIA under the bus, but as, as a counterpoint. Sure. So backing up in the legal community, how do we, how do we um, educate ourselves? How do we come up with principles? As a legal community, we do it based upon precedent. And there's a certain assurance. And lawyers love court cases in which you have certain fact patterns and then you have a, a court decision. There's no way to track like how many court cases or construction court cases and how much it um, hits the industry. There's litigation, there's arbitration, and what's mostly done is things settle out of court, right? And the only thing you can track is a reported decision by a court. And there is okay. a dearth of reported cases in construction law and, and cases generally because not all cases that are decided actually get an opinion or a formal opinion. They're usually the ones that go up on appeals and uh, things of that nature. But, I mean, you do get them. But the answer is that there is no reported cases that is taking a consensus docs contract uh, and then saying, okay, here's the consensus docs language and let's tear it apart and see how it applies and who mm. wins. There are many There are several construction law cases every year. Uh, there's a, actually a textbook for the AIA documents called uh, the AIA Legal Citator. There are, there, now, AIA's documents are used more than mine, for sure, um, but they see it, or at least the, the textbooks, tout that it's lots of precedent. But I tout that it's better not to have precedents because it means that you had a case that went to court that led to a decision. I'm not saying that if you use consensus docs, it's the panacea and you will not have a claim you will not go to court. That is definitely not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is people who use my contracts have an interest, they're, they're sensible that they want to use a contract that was written that empowers parties to communicate, that tries to incorporate best practices, and that it's a fairness. It's a lot of this is, it's not, it is what's in your contract, but it's the people who are interpreting and administering those contracts and you want to you want to have reasonableness. Some of this is sometimes judged by what's the the, the the a reason. What would a reasonable man do or person do? And I think that our contracts empower communications. I think they're written in a more straightforward fashion. And I think they're used by people who want to be fair to one another. And I think that that more than anything else alleviates de-escalates. We actually have a provision, an article that says dispute resolution and mitigation. And we're looking to mitigate claims and put some oomph there with the communications rather than how to escalate claims. Um, you, you said that there's a lot more cases that are using or, or use cases with AIA. They obviously were the you know first mover. You guys were 2007, you said? Correct. Um, how how is consensus docs becoming adopted and how can we besides just telling people that they exist how can they be um more uh widespread 
So from my perspective, the biggest changes are more global changes that are occurring in the construction industry that, that are going to happen outside of this conversation. And what are those? Historically, traditional contracting is done through traditional contracting. Design, bid, build, also thought of as hard bid or lump sum. In that structure, the first contract is an owner who is thought to be passive, even though they're the ones that have the most to gain or lose in a project's success. And what's the first contract that they do? They hire their trusted design professional to, and they contract with them very early in on the process where they haven't really figured out what they want to do with their program uh, to a full extent. And then they build that up and then they get their design plans all built up. And in theory, they're done to 100% complete so they can bid and build the work. It's thought of as an assurance that this is the ceiling for the price and I have a firm fixed price and schedule for my capital asset, my construction project. That's unfortunately we see in the studies is that ceiling becomes the floor because those 100% design plans um, weren't perfect. They were thrown over the wall without input from the builder or the trade contractors in an increasingly complex world with systems that integrate with one another and invariably that requires changes. And that may cause change orders, which causes often people to get their backs up and, and somewhat confrontational. The bigger change is instead of making design in a vacuum and thinking that it's correct and command and control things and then give things to a general contractor who then flows that down to its specialty contractors who do the bulk of the work, if not all of the work, uh, is maybe we can integrate a little bit more. Maybe we can have that master builder concept that goes back to the Egyptian pyramids with design build. Maybe we can have construction management at risk where instead of throwing design plans over the wall when they're 100% complete and says, go figure out my design intent, we actually engage the general contractor who knows a lot about schedule and material selection and how to build things efficiently in the design phase and design assist and have collaboration in the design phase because we all know it's a lot cheaper and more efficient to change things when it's in the design room early in the process rather than uh, in the field and maybe even destroying walls because you realize you have a conflict between two systems. And last but not least is the latest, and Consensus Docs was the first to publish an integrated project delivery contract, but there's a new way of thinking of having a single point of responsibility, not just like a, an owner and the design builder, but have the owner as part of the team in a consensus core group with the, the design professional, with some of the specialty trades that make up a big part of the co project costs, and not even have a firm fixed price, but have a sort of a, a, val a target value price, and then incentivize people to operate efficiently and creatively and really bring joy back into the work and have continuous improvement. So you drive the price down for both the owner and the participants. And the better they do, the more profit they make in a, in a risk pool plan. So there's, there's some ways to actually drive innovation to the people in the field with the contractual structure that you choose. I, I studied this in grad school, and I think it was the Australia 
model, project alliancing, and it was all about shared risk and shared profitability. And if the owner has, you know, let's call it a hundred million dollar or twenty million dollar budget, all people share equitably based on their risk, their their piece of the pie on the savings, um, so that you do align all agendas towards collaboration as opposed to uh, what Brian and I were talking about before this, um, how it's, it's just a very, what's the right word, argumentative um, industry. Everybody gets their backs up. As soon as, as soon as blame starts going around, it becomes a legal fight as opposed to a problem solving what's in the best interest of the project, what's in the best interest of the owner. Um, and, and, you know, owner, in my mind is is who the end user is so it should be in the best interest of them but and they're the bill payer so to your point they have the most at stake uh if the project either gets slowed up or the quality's not delivered or the budget goes you know haywire um well i i think that's all interesting um public projects are there agencies that are taking consensus docs um out to market there are, and it's a bit hard to track some of this. My best use case study is an owner who engaged us in the conversation, and they they had adopted previously a highly modified paper-intensive use of the AIA documents, and they had a change of uh, political leadership, and they wanted they were known as a bad owner. They were known as a difficult owner who was into finger pointing always tried to pass the buck and shift risk, right? And the general principle of risk allocation that most people will agree with is the party in the best position to manage and mitigate risk should be allocated that risk. Our construction contracts often don't do that. They usually try to push risk to the lowest, the weakest party in the contractual chain because we all, all knows what flows downhill. Uh, to <laughs> instead instead of the party who's able to manage or mitigate the risk. Or we could try to actually manage and mitigate risk globally for the project, which is actually probably the, the hardest to do, but most efficient if you can set it up right. So in Iowa, the owner, the, the equivalent of the, the, the DAS there, the Department of Administrative Services, the equivalent of G, GSA, said, you know, why don't we try to get some expertise out there? Why don't we get construction management owner's representation, actually? Why don't we start adopting building information modeling, which, by the way, Consensus Docs was the first ones to come out with a standard contract document addendum to address BIM, building information modeling. And let's start going from a highly modified AIA document that's paper intensive to using Consensus Docs. They did that being a different owner. It's not just that they use consensus docs. It was a mind shift. It was a people shift. And since that time, they haven't, they used to have formal claims on every single project. And since that time, and it's been, wow, I guess I've been around a while now. I think it's a decade. <laughs> uh, they have not had formal claims. They have gone from having formal claims on all projects to not having formal claims. They've been able to deal with it. They've been, able to put more contracts in place. Uh, they've been more efficient and they, and they've saving money. They're saving money by not having the inefficiencies of having the claims. And it was so good that, that the department the, in Iowa, the, the board of regents moved to using consensus docs as well, because you know, what we see with owners is they're slow, just like lawyers, 
Construction's slow to change. It really is. Lawyers are slow to change. So maybe construction lawyers are maybe the slowest to change <laughs> uh, because of that double whammy. It's a show me kind of industry, right? I don't I don't want to be on the bleeding edge. Yep. But the Board of Regents moved and they uh, moved to consensus docs and they, they've done very well as well uh, because success begets success. Um, before we move on, I, I highlighted that you are the only construction attorney in the United States certified as a CM lean for lean construction. Tell us about that. So CM lean is a credential that the Associated General Contractors of America created a, a curriculum that requires a test. Uh, and, and so you have to ha both learn a body of knowledge, take classes and I'll tell you what, since the bar, it was the hardest test. Maybe it's the only test that I've had to do outside of my, my <laughs> legal bar certifications and ethics training. Um, but it was a tough test, um, but worth it. It was really great. So what does it teach? So I've mentioned a little bit about integrated project delivery. That is the contractual structure, the project delivery method for setting up a more collaborative way, a newer way of doing things. But there is something called lean, lean construction, which is sort of like Six Sigma, Toyota processing plants you may have heard of. It's, it started in America, but Japan ad adopted it and, and uh, kind of filled it out. And then it's been a big thing, lean in manufacturing. And now there's a whole thought process of how it works in construction. And there's not one particular process, but it's how to do scheduling in an entirely different way, rather command and control. It's called the last planner system. And, and it really has the end users trying to figure out the critical path of what they need to happen before having the end in mind, uh, before they are able to commit resources and materials and things of that nature. It's much more flexible. It's much more people focused. You may have heard of the big broom and the sticky notes. That's really popular. That's part of that's a lean. That's part of pool planning and pool scheduling, but it's a, it's a mind shift. It's a cultural shift. I mean, it started with design build. That's a lot more integrated, uh, but lean is 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 really integrating even more of that sphere and that collaboration. And so, being CM lean is that uh, I I have an interest, and then I I took the courses. There's only four courses, and uh, you take uh, in different units. And then you take the test, um, and those are administrated. Uh, we're actually doing those online now, uh, but for whatever reason, I, I, I've, I've been the only attorney, I think, that's gone through the process. I, I should probably check on that uh, because maybe I'm drumming it up and, and bring it to some of my fellow construction attorneys. That's a, a challenge to our construction attorneys out there. Um, one other thing, I, I the Associate, Associated General Contractors of America put out this um, – I'll call it a visual um, graphic that talked about, I think the, the headline was, so you want to build that project. And the fact that we're talking lean and I'm a systems engineer, so I'm always thinking, how do we make things more efficient? And I've, I've, you know, observed all of these different processes. Uh, and then you had spent some time at the EPA and how much EPA plays into the approval of a public infrastructure project. And we talk about, you know, infrastructure jobs act and, you know, shovel ready projects versus things that are going to get funded that can go through studies. How much have you been involved or, or worked with the EPA um, or other agencies around reducing the amount of time that it takes to get a shovel ready project for public infrastructure? So if at all. I, 
Yeah. So uh, we, I have colleagues at AGC. There's a great team there. Uh, I know exactly what you're referring to. We've actually have now have a risk management team that is a world class of uh, staff and, and trying to help our members deal with the risk that they face on projects and environmental uh, compliance because people want to comply and regulations yep. is, um, you know, it, 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 that was the essence of that graphic. You know, there's a lot of Everything's well-intentioned, um, but at a certain point, you also need to balance that with our societal need to, to build because part of making a better, more efficient, greener society is building the infrastructure to do that. And so AGC has done a very good job of both articulating how can we streamline things, but that, that sentiment overall of if we're going to have a greener planet, which we do need to have, part of that is, is building and, is, and, and building in a more sensible way. Um, and streamlining multiple sort of facets. There's always the need for community input. There's always various uh, government agencies that, that play a role in ensuring that compliance is done and, and that there's a balance there. But, you know, sometimes things grow organically. And uh, when you take a step back and you look at that process and that chart, you realize it's really hard and it can be really expensive. And, you know, construction is a very, it's a very risky endeavor with low profits and overhead. So we take on a lot of risks, a lot, and we don't make a lot of money for taking on that risks. It sounds kind of crazy to me as a risk adverse, <laughs> probably attorney. Um, and so it, how we can balance that by building a better society and a streamlined approach. I personally have not been working on those issues. I mean, I, I had a little bit of knowledge about some of the larger federal regulations, um, but there is a t there's a team of folks and members who are had been a little bit more engaged in that and had reached some really amazing success on streamlining that process uh, it, it, over the last five years or seven years. Um, and I think that that the, the vigor of some of those regulations, I think, is um, having new discussions um, and rebalancing. But I. I think that a lot of that success of, of that message and, and streamlining that approach, I believe still um, we've made a lot of headway there. Yeah. I, it, I know it was kind of a curveball and it just came to my mind. And I just think that there's, you know, we're talking consensus docs and construction. And once something is actually a, a project that has a funding, that team has so much that they can do. But as we talk about public infrastructure, there's so many different pieces that go into the planning and, and environmental analysis. Uh, and you get, you know, these piecemeal funding of different parts of the project or different studies. And I think we as an industry, not just the construction industry, but the, the engineering or architect engineering and construction industry have to look holistically and, and work with the public stakeholders to, to reduce waste throughout the whole process. Um, so that's why I brought it up. Jump into, you know, you've, you've been uh, doing consensus docs since 2007. You've been, you've probably seen, you know, thousands of different construction projects and, and been involved with a bunch of different efforts. Any, any story that highlights a leadership lesson or, or a project that highlights a leadership lesson uh, worthy of sharing with the team? You know, the best story I have is, is the formation that I alluded to is, is consensus docs itself. It was hard. Uh, it was hard to get to yes. The concept was very understandable and agreeable to the different stakeholders. 
Um, AIA was invited to the table, but they quickly dropped out because they were pretty open and honest and said, you know, we make too much money from our current sales. We kind of like having the control and being the decider. And, and, and our mission is to further the profession of architecture. And we don't want to necessarily lose that stature for, for the traditional role of the decider architect. So we we had we were we were chomp at we were working at it we were working with the people at the table with different it turned out to be 20 association 20 associations signed on uh but at some point we were working on it agc had its own contract documents program that was pretty successful and i don't know maybe a year and a half into it we sent letters out and said you know this has been great but it doesn't look like we're going to have the adequate funding and support from the other associations to put money and man hours behind this new entity. And so we sent these letters out and said, you know, we're, we're kind of, we're stopping. We're, we're going to kind of status quo inertia. I think you used the word inertia on the uh, upfront of the program. Yeah. Change is hard. Inertia is, is I always say with me, is, is my biggest obstacle is inertia. Because if we were starting from scratch, we, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't have one entity write, write the contracts. We would try to do it as collaborative as possible. But anyway, we sent out this letter and said, we're not going to do it. But behind the scenes, a staff person, I said, well, there's got, we, I, this is such a good effort. We shouldn't just stop. We can salvage this. So I, at least behind the scenes and with, with I mean, tr tr wasn't doing it secretively. I got folks to write onto a letter that we went, sent to engineering news record, ENR, that the concept was still viable and that we're committed to still working on it. And then I went back to the drawing board and instead of that single purpose energy or LLC model of the association of consensus stocks, we wound up doing something a little bit more looser as far as a legal entity as, as the coalition. And instead of having one agreement and sort of one separate entity, uh, there's, there's sort of 40 agreements uh, or, or over 40 agreements now for each group. And it's, there's a little bit of flexibility in Teller, but the principles of equal vote at the table, fair contracts, the trust. I mean, I guess the one thing I would say, not just trust for the coalition that we're working in, but when you're working on more collaborative contracts, it all starts with trust. And if you don't have that as a foundation, you don't have anything. But the point is, from a leadership point of view is, we hit a wall, kept it alive, kept the concepts, and then did it a different way. Didn't do it the original vision. It's And it maybe is not the best vision, but we can pivot from a different momentum now that we have work product and 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 a, tr a track record of success. If we had just let it die, um, I probably wouldn't be talking to you now about it. Yeah, trust and collaboration. I know a group down in D.C. that could uh, take a take a lesson from your consensus docs uh, experience. Inspiring people and places is brought to you by MCFA. MCFA is a CVE verified, service disabled, veteran owned small business. At MCFA, our why is to inspire people and places through project leadership. We provide planning, strategy, program management, and construction management support services to a wide variety of public and private sector clients. Jump into rapid fire questions. Anything outside of the construction industry you're involved with or, or passionate about? Well, I like to cycle. You know, I live in the Washington, D.C. area. And believe it or not, it's a it's a world class city, and there are amazing bike trails. Uh, I like to hike. I like to bike. I have an 11 year old daughter that she's my only uh, child, but she's the apple of my eye. And I, I would say that um, 
if you talk to me very much, you'll probably you, you hear me talk about my daughter. I'm very passionate about supporting being a dad and supporting her and in, in her endeavors like soccer and coaching that and that sort of thing. Um, and I love hitting the gym and swimming um, and, and seeing live music. Those are the things that, that, that come to mind that uh, gives me joy. And I, uh, I think it's really important, both work and in pleasure, is to celebrate the wins and enjoy your life and, and have joy and passion doing it while you do things because life's too short. Amen to that. Uh, favorite quote? The unexamined life isn't worth living. Oh, who, who said that? I don't know, but uh, pro uh, someone famous. Yeah, I, I'm, we'll we'll uh, check that one. Must oh, read oh uh, Henry David Thoreau. Sorry, it's uh, okay. it's from my favorite oh, book, Walden. Okay, um, must read book. Hmm. Uh, must read book. Well, I must read a travel book. I'm about to go on vacation in less than two weeks. And I must read The Lonely Planet's Guide to uh, Maine and New Hampshire because that's an Acadia National Park. So that's what's that's on my mind. Um, I really want to read. Um, so Walden's my favorite book of all time, uh, most influential, but um, also really want to read. Um, I like Green Lights that I read rec recently by Matthew uh. McConaughey. Um, but I've heard really, I've only started. Um, I love the Foo Fighters and Dave Grohl, and he's got storytellers. And um, I hear it's great. Green lights. It was like shocking to me, Matthew McConaughey's family life upbringing. Like the beginning of that book was just like, holy cow. Uh, That's a good one. You have to read it. You have to read it to understand what we're talking about. Dead or alive, if you could hang out with three people for a day, who would they be? What would you do? Ooh, good questions. <laughs> I, I didn't know we were going to get so philosophical. So one of them, he probably wouldn't be the best. This is, I'm hitting this hard, but I probably would want to meet Thoreau. Um, I'd want to meet Abe Lincoln. Um, his style of not being a lawyer, but boy, he was, he had a thick skin. I, I wish I had his patience. Uh, Team of Rivals book uh, is highlighted that. Uh, third, um, Got to have somebody a little bit more fun for the third one. Um, you know, I, I probably one of my, um, so just a, a friend of mine who, who passed away in college uh, unexpectedly in a car crash, Doug Adams would probably be the, uh, the third who comes to mind uh, just because uh, it's taken too, too short and it'd be nice to have more time. Um, what would we do? We'd probably go out and have a good meal and have some good drinks and a good conversation would be the, the best uh, Bill and maybe Bill and Ted's uh, style. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Uh, you, you mentioned Abe Lincoln and uh, like the the thick skin. He overcame so many failures. Like he, he failed at like everything. And and I think his his wife passed away. You know all of that stuff before uh, presidency. Amazing endurance. Uh, legacy. What do you want to be remembered for? You know, I, I say my mission in life, uh, both personal and work, is just to leave the world a better place for having lived in it. And so uh, that is, that's my legacy. I, I think I do that by being a dad. And, and then and I would say probably consensus docs is sort of my work legacy. I like it. Anything you want to leave with our audience? Floor is yours. The floor is mine. Dangerous with an attorney. 
you know, you could have given me these questions ahead of time. Um, or maybe I should have listened to one of your, you probably do this with everybody. I definitely should have done my, should have done my due diligence. You know, I, I kind of will say something, I guess I said before, not, not to repeat myself, but it's, it's, it's sort of the inertia thing of when you're stuck, both personal or work, um, if you're going to keep doing the same things over and over again and expect different results, that's as Einstein said, but he actually didn't say it. He's just attributed the quote of it's the very definition of insanity. Um, you know, we can't just always be on the bleeding edge and trying new things, but we really do. We have to try and experiment and do something different. Uh, constant experiments with maybe um, high rewards, but maybe low risk in, in the scale of them. Uh, be, that's how that's continuous improvement. Be curious, right? That's the, the concept of lean is just observe and, and have that intellectual curiosity of being better. Get a little smart, see the difference get a little better, better, get a bit of smarter, and rinse and repeat. And so that's how we change inertia is be curious, try to always strive to be better, do some observation, and then take the step. Just take the step. Don't overthink it. Do it. Do it with low risk. And that's how we make a better industry and a better world. Brian, awesome to have you. Thank you for uh, sharing your experiences and, and your knowledge and wisdom. Uh, and thank you for your efforts to, to launch Consensus Docs and, and bring those parties together. Uh, you're definitely making the industry a better place because of it, it sounds like. So uh, appreciate your time and um, thanks so much. Thanks, BJ. It was a pleasure being here and I, I wish everybody a, a great rest of your day and and whatever you're working on, I hope it, you bring joy to it. Hey, everybody, if you're enjoying the show, do us a favor and subscribe to Inspiring People and Places on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast hosting platform. We'd also greatly appreciate if you left us a review and shared this with other entrepreneurial public servants and construction industry leaders. Be sure to visit our website, www.mcfaglobal.com. Sign up for our newsletter. If you want to learn more about the MCFA DNA, check out our website. Thanks so much and have a great uh, rest of your day and a great week.